Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investments. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. In a coup d'etat, I'm Chris DeMuth, a PM <laughs> of Rangeley Capital. And with me, as always, is my co-host and fellow Rangeley PM, Andrew Walker. It's Tuesday, December 20th, between our office Christmas lunch and office Christmas escape from the room evening. And today we're going to talk about some of our favorite things heading into the holidays, as well as what science has to say about Christmas presents. Uh, We only have a few days left in our 2016 podcasts. As we head into Christmas, I'd like to ask about some of our favorites of 2016. Um, in honor, uh, to start off with, I wanted to ask about our inbound president's favorite social media, Twitter, which historically I've not gotten at all. I've never understood using email how having fewer characters could be better. I've never understood hashtags. I've never really gotten it. But I wanted to ask you about this. Andrew, did you have any favorite tweets of 2016? Yeah, so Chris, you mentioned uh, – you mentioned – our favorite, our incoming president. And my favorite tweet is actually something he put out in 2012. You know, in 2012, he had the now famous tweet uh, that he tweeted right on election day. The electoral college is a disaster for democracy, <laughs> which I think it can win 2016's tweet of the year because just retroactively, that that is just a tweet that goes up exponentially in, in terms of humor. Uh, and, you know, it shows the power of being able to, it shows the power of kind of having things logged on the internet. It shows... You're going to put something on the internet. You better be damn sure you're not going to run for president and have it come back to haunt you because it just might. What about you? I think politics was a lot easier before recording devices and before easy archives. You could kind of switch on a dime and now all of a sudden these things come back to haunt you. I actually have one about our inbound president as well. Chris Hayes, writer for Weekly Standard, had one. And what's uncanny about this, this isn't going to sound that noteworthy, other than the fact that this was written at 1027 in the morning of March 25th. And the statistical improbability of this is amazing. He said, next thought, what if the devil himself visits me and says, I can give you a Cubs World Series victory, but then Trump becomes president. Uh, and then both these things, which at the time, I mean, pretty pro- low probability well, March, events. March 25th, it, it, Trump was heading towards the Republican nomination. So he had to have, what, at least a 25, 30% chance on all the betting markets and stuff. But that times the probability of the Cubs. That and the Cubs, I'm going to say that was pretty, pretty, pretty unlikely. But uh, both of those. Uh, so, so yes. Yeah, so the Devil uh, and Chris Hayes have crossed paths uh, since then, apparently. Um, and then the next I was going to ask you, uh, Andrew, is do you have any favorite books? Uh, any big reading plans uh, on uh, Audible or Kindle or Dead Trees that you plan to read over Christmas? Yeah. So actually, I I, I kind of thought this was our favorites podcast when you emailed me this. So I, I was kind of going back and saying my. My favorite things I've read for 2006, but I guess oh, this could be this could be favorite right. presents. You know, I, I've got two, and both are investing related. The first would be Dear Chairman by Jeff Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, I, I believe you read it. It's yep. probably my favorite uh, investing book I've read this year. It is a collection. He goes back in time and he collects activist letters from the past 40, 50 years. And he provides the activist letters. He provides backgrounds on the activist campaign. He does a pretty fair job of providing both sides. And I mean, some of these activist campaigns, you don't even realize, like uh, Ross Perot taking on GM. I didn't realize like the historical significance of this. It gives like a whole new context to Ross Perot running for president in the 90s it's really interesting how all these sort of cultural influences go along with these campaigns 
Uh, and then the other one I'm reading, which is com- on the completely other side, but I think it's... Did you want to say something? No, 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 no. It's on the completely other side, but I'm going to call it investing due diligence as well. It's uh, The Name of the Wind, book mm-hmm. one in the King Killer, book one in the King Killer Chronicles. And now this is a fantasy book, but we've talked about uh, stars several times on mm-hmm. this podcast, and stars is merging with Lionsgate, a merger we're very familiar with. We've mentioned it on the podcast, invested in it, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and the King Killer Chronicles is actually going to be Lionsgate's. They just want a huge bidding war for the rights to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be Lionsgate's kind of answer to Marvel and Game of Thrones. They're going to probably have a TV series on stars. There's going to have movies. And it's based on this book. It's pro- I just finished book one last night, and it's probably the best book uh, fantasy book I've ever read. So would highly recommend that to anyone for who's invested in Lionsgate or who is interested in fantasy. So I think that should be a tax write-off because I've invested there and I think I might read it. I have read the other one, Dear Chairman, and I have the same emotional reaction to this that I imagine every person has had to a book reading about a half century before them, which is, man, if I only was confronted with the issues that people were a generation ago, I would have just cleaned yeah. up because yeah. it was so easy back then yeah. and now it's gotten tricky. And why didn't these guys scale up? I mean, ideas that were almost perfect that they put 2 or 3% into that they could have put 20 or 30% into. But these guys uh, were dealing with easier issues than we are today. But, I, but I'm sure everybody feels that. Let, let's turn to two thoughts on that because we are ostensibly an investing podcast. On the 2 or 3% versus 20%, I think it's very easy with the benefit of hindsight for anything to say, oh, that was, a, that was such a cakewalk. Like, why didn't I put... 20%, why wouldn't anyone put 20% of your net worth in? But in real time, like the fears, the uncertainty, market swings, everything can make it very difficult to take mm-hmm. posi- to take outsized positions like that. Uh, it's very stress- stressing. And the other thing, though, I do think you are right to some extent. Like Warren Buffett, we've talked about him on this pod all the time. In the 60s and 70s, he could almost legally, he could legally trade on insider information. There was no Reg FD, which prohibits selective disclosure. And a lot of times you call management up and uh, a lot of times you call management up and get really detailed info on how quarters were going, how business was trending. And he also had a lot of things that I think would be considered dirty checks where he could, you know, go to D.C. and in person get SEC filings uh, a day or two before they'd get mailed out to people at Wall Street. So he could trade on earnings numbers that no one else had. So go ahead. Puka filings, Public Utility Holding Company Act and FERC filings uh, had information that nobody else had. You just would go and you'd look it up by alphabetical order, probably kind of. Uh, uh, in a Dewey Decimal System, and nobody else read it, and he had access to that information. Uh, my favorite for Christmas, I'm listening to on Audible in my runs into work, The Undoing Project, uh, A Friendship That Changed Our Minds by Michael Lewis. He's so popular, I feel kind of trite in mentioning this, but it's really his best book. It's about two heroes of mine, Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky. And uh, wonderful uh, men, wonderful uh, genius uh, intellects, and uh, their uh, collaboration that really led to much of what behavioral uh, economics is today. Uh, Just a wonderful, wonderful story. And Michael Lewis's uh, genius, and it's one that's going to continue to make him a lot of money, is he can turn anything into a story. He can kind of allegorize anything he writes about. I I don't, I I didn't realize you were going to see this, but I I saw an interview, Nate Silver and Michael Lewis, they, they did it about a week ago and it, Michael Lewis he he was 
a little. I, I, he was somewhere between arrogant and humble. It's tough to say, but he went and he he apparently knew these guys for a long time, mm-hmm. and he was finding like there is a story here, and he went to them and he was like, "Look, somebody's going to write the story. It might as well be me. Like whoever does it is going to get wrong, but at least you guys know me, and you can kind of help me not get it as wrong as someone else." So, look, I I, I kind of agree with you. Like saying a Michael Lewis book, he's. He, He's no undervalued commodity at this point, but he's fantastic. I haven't read it yet, but I'm uh, excited to read it at some point. I highly recommend it. Uh, inbound or outbound, uh, any favorite uh, favorite and worst gifts that you've given or gotten? Okay, well, so I've, I, I've we've got the office escape the room tonight, which was my Christmas office present this for is everyone. Be the so best. I'm hoping it's not going to be the worst. I'm hoping I it's the best. But my favorite gift of the year was not one, fortunately, not one I personally got. It was uh, the Brightburn Energy Bankruptcy. So let me go through some background sure. here. Uh, this was an MLP in the mid two thousand in the mid two thousand fourteen. It was trading for about twenty five dollars per share. By two thousand fifteen, it was trading for ten dollars per share. Started this year, it was trading for a dollar per share, and it was bankrupt uh, over the summer. The shares are kind of trading at stub value of thirty cents or something. But uh, they declared bankruptcy over the summer, mm-hmm. and in addition to getting a nice capital loss for all of the money that investors had lost, uh, because MLPs passed through all of their taxable income, uh, the MLP it wiped out its debt at a discount, and they said, "Hey guys, remember those basically worthless shares you have? Well, we just uh, realized ninety cent. We just retired all of our debt at ten cents per dollar or something like that. So that ninety cents uh, that we kind of wiped out of our debt." That's a tax bill that you're going to have to pay. Wow. So shareholders were hit with you know five ten dollars worth of tax on shares that were only worth kind of thirty cents per share. Now the real kicker here is management saw this coming and management sold all of their shares on the open market to avoid a rather nifty tax bill. Uh, so I think the best gift was the Brightburn Energy stock to uh, the IRS. Yeah, it was the gift that kept on giving to all. Of all of your, de- I don't know. Well, it gave to the IRS. It gave to no one who owned it. I'm not a unit holder, and I am a U.S. taxpayer. So I'd like just to thank them for Perfect. contributing yes. to the general uh, uh, ledger. Uh, that was uh, generous of them. I actually briefly was a unit holder in, I believe, 2008. Uh, Lehman had owned a lot of Greatburn, a lot of Wine uh, Lynn Energy, and a couple others, and uh, they were just puking these out and uh, bought some, but very temporarily. I'm glad I didn't hold on for more than a few weeks. So uh, that was that was that. Um, uh, as per usual for me, I'll just uh, mention a best and a worst. I've uh, been extremely generous to the long-suffering wife. I can say this now that she's out of the office. Um, with uh, a two-week <laughs> African safari, which I thought was particularly nice. Um, just the addendum I'd like to say is this was in a charity auction. And due to pricing discipline, I was outbid. So I didn't get the high bid. Uh, but still, uh, I've long thought I have a theory that I should get both credit for generosity and the tax write-off. Because I was willing to spend this amount of money for charity. Uh, uh, I I, I just I just want to sum up this. It, the best gift that you gave this year was the gift of bidding for an African yes. safari that you did not win. So, no. our, as our listeners know, there was no two week African safari no. that you took. It was just the hypothetical two weeks you took at a price okay. I was willing to pay. It was it was like it was like you know I don't do market uh, orders. I do limit orders. I had a limit order in. I didn't get hit, but I had the plan lined up, uh, and so that was that. Um, and then uh, the worst by far, and I've gotten stuck with these a couple times, is if you go to lowball bids at auctions, I got stuck with some photo portraits, which is the most BS thing you can possibly win. Because since there's no marginal cost, they set these prices really low, and the viewings are basically hosted situations. <laughs> so even if it's like pictures of your kids or whatever, terrible, terrible thing. Never, ever, ever give or get that as a gift. If you get it, give it back. 
Um, so from there, I wanted to move briefly over to Santa Claus. Uh, and uh, Santa Claus, we had an article um, in uh, 538 that I thought was really wonderful. Uh, Virginia uh, was a little too old to believe in Santa Claus about the uh, letter uh, about uh, friends no longer believing in Santa. Uh, and and, and the, the writer made the point that according to uh, stats, uh, Santa belief has actually been going up uh, in terms of how many years children on average believe in Santa over 100 years from about six to seven. Uh, and, I, and I thought this was interesting because in a year where we've talked a lot about being on the right side of history and the hope and inevitability of progress uh, that we're going towards the static future uh, uh, and that it's hopefully probably going to be one that is scientific and based on reason and facts and logic. Uh, there's a lot of counter evidence that any of that's true. Uh, and so I wanted to ask, uh, uh, having looked at this, you know, uh, Santa belief has to be the whitest of white lies. Mm -hmm. uh, but are white lies ever okay? Is this, is, is this something that we should feel dread, uh, ominous dread about, or is this okay? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So when you first posed the question to me, my instinct was like, no, white lies are not, because uh, you know I feel like a lot of white lies, it's exactly what you're saying. They start out as white lies, and then six, nine months later, you've built up a belief system on the white lies and you're kind of crushed. You know, if you're telling every kid they're exceptional and then they go to their first basketball game and they're they're the worst player on the court, that, that little white lie you were telling your kid actually really comes back to hurt them. But before the podcast, we were talking and you mentioned Bridgewater, which I think many of our listeners will be familiar with from the Wall Street Journal. It's one of the most successful, if not the most successful uh, hedge funds of all time. And their whole thing is based on this radical transparency idea where there's no white lies. Everyone's told everything honestly. Like I, I could go up to you after a meeting and just say – I, they'd expect this of me. I'd go up to you after a meeting and say, Chris, you sucked at that meeting and you need to improve. And it's very blunt. You know, you're not supposed to be mean. It's just blunt and truthful. But I, I've, I've read a lot about their culture. I know people who've interviewed there. I know several friends who have worked there. And I will tell you, like, their culture, it, it just doesn't seem fit for me. And I kind of think, like, there is something to having some white lies to protecting ego and this type of radical transparency can be very difficult. So go ahead. I think that um, if it is symmetrical uh, and it is uh, asked, I think there's absolutely time and place for it. I would say I'm a I'm fairly extremist in the anti-white lie, pro-radical transparency. Although I think that uh, I, I guess I'd create a very different standard for acts of omission and acts of mm -hmm. commission. I think that I'd be pretty radical in favor where it's symmetrical and commission. But uh, at least my understanding, having read uh, Ray Dalio's principles and my understanding, having never worked there, but from people who I know well who do, uh, that there's not as much space as I would give for uh, benign acts of omission and just saying, hey, leave me alone. That's not something I'm asked. I'm being judged on right now. Uh, so so I, I think that uh, they probably take it. A, a little bit uh, too far. Uh, so uh, I have very young kids. I've not yet disabused them in any way of Santa. My wife's, I think, constantly worried that I'm about to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I definitely identify myself with the kind of Richard Dawkins view of science, that science is, truth is, 
uh, spiritual and something that can fill you with wonder and awe that it's not antiseptic uh, and uh, so tend to be a little bit debunking uh, here but the thing about this that I'd like to just end with is the idea that uh, you know boy you can go a hundred years and people albeit children understand truth less well than they did a hundred years earlier just to say there's no inevitable progress the future is not static it depends on events uh, and uh, people can, over time, believe more in a lie, albeit a nice one. Uh, it shows that we're not progressing towards an inevitably benign future. Uh, but that's something uh, in a funny way to end a year with that is uh, because that that is true in and of itself, uh, that we are heading towards an uh, unknown future. It's kind of exciting. It's not kind of plotting towards this faster or slower future that we all agree on um so with that uh we probably will have one more this year yeah um, hopefully tomorrow but i would like to say i have nothing to disclose nothing uh uh do you have any disclosure no I don't no think, uh, I, I don't think we have any disclosure i would just say you know i think this was a little bit different than our standard format uh you're you're gonna wrap, wrap us up but i just say like you know, if people like this format or if they tomorrow will return to investing, but if people like this format, they should email us and let us know. And we'll be uh, happy to consider that going forward. As I've only uh, hosted a few of these, I would like to say I'm not asking for any radical honesty yeah. here whatsoever. No if radical nice honesty on the say, host, just on white, the, the concept. Inbound white lies are fine. Uh, and we will see you shortly. Perfect.